before we do, how many hours per day? How many hours per day do you think American adults spend listening to, watching, reading, or generally interacting with media? How many hours per day do you think American adults spend listening to, watching, reading, or generally just interacting with media? And I want you to post your guesses in the chat. So again, how many hours do American adults spend listening to, watching, reading, or generally interacting with media? And while you point that in, post that in your chat, I want to ask you a question. So who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? You know, it's not so much a, a question. You, you might have been asked that at some point. It's not so much a question as much as an accusation. You know, usually you hear something like that. Who do you think you are uh, when you've done something, you're trying to get away with something, or you're asking for something that makes someone else believe? You know, you think a little bit more of yourself than you should. You've got, in the old phrase, airs above your station. Who do you think you are? So who do you think that you are? Because, you know, it's a really good question. Who do you think that you are? Because today's passage in Philippians reminds us who you think you are. Paul writes, who you think you are. Pastor Alistair Begg summarized, said, we are not what we think we are, but what we think we are. We are not what we think we are, but what we think we are. You see, our thoughts are formative in shaping who we are, what you think you become, how you think you become, who you think you are. As the old adage goes, watch your, watch your thoughts, they become your words. Watch your words, they become your actions. Watch your actions, they become your habits. Watch your habits, they become your character. And watch your character, it becomes your destiny. So who you think you are. Friends, what thoughts are shaping you today? And who are they shaping you into? Who do you think you are? And asking that, let's pray again. Speak, O oh Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. And take this truth, plant it deep in us, and shape and fashion us now in your likeness. By the power of Christ we ask. Amen. Give your answer. Yeah. Well, well good. Well, we'll get to the answers in just a second. So, but before we're we so do... I know. You guys are... This is great stuff. I, we're going to get to the answers in just a second. I can't wait to hear them. But before we do, I want to read for us Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, which says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now again, you might remember two weeks ago we heard the Apostle Paul in verses 2 and 3 in chapter 4 here talk about an ongoing conflict in the church and urge for peace and reconciliation. And then last week we heard Paul in verses 4 through 7 invite the anxious to bring their anxieties to the Lord in prayer and find peace. And today we again find Paul talking about peace. And he reminds the church in Philippi and the church in Midcoast, Maine, that our peace of heart largely has to do with our purity of mind. 
Our peace of heart largely has to do with our purity of mind. Who you think you are. So to the conflicted, to the anxious, Paul might ask, what are you thinking about? What are you allowing to consume your mind? Or better, what is your mind consuming? Because what you think you are. Just like we say you are what you eat. Well, what you think you are. Your purity of thought is related to your peace of heart. Your purity of thought is related to your peace of heart. And so like we talked about last week, right now is a time of anxiety. People are anxious about the coronavirus. They're anxious about getting sick. They're anxious about unintentionally making someone else sick. Anxious about losing jobs. Anxious about losing businesses or home or security. And we're brought into conflict with one another whose opinions we believe threaten our lives or our livelihood. And one of the biggest things feeding our current anxiety and our conflict is what we're feeding our minds on. So back to that question. How many hours per day do you think American adults spend listening to, watching, reading, or generally interacting with media? And here we go. I guess I got some guesses here. Got uh, Let's see. Ian said three hours. Kathleen Vandenbrink, seven hours. Bridget Mellon, seven and a half. Rich, six hours. Dave Peraza, ten hours. Hazel Ames, six. And Alex Theroux, just too many. <laughs> so again, there's, there's a, some good guesses here. According to a 2018 Nielsen Total Audience Report, so this report was dated July 31st of 2018, American adults spend over 11 hours per day listening to, watching, reading, or generally interacting in some way, shape, or form with media. The title of the article was, Time Flies, U.S. Adults Now Spend Nearly Half a Day Interacting with Media. The article said, the world has never been more connected and U.S. audiences have never had as many options to access content as they do these days. In short, consumers in the U.S. seem like they can't get enough content and the possibilities for marketers to reach them, while fragmented, is an opportunity that's just too good to pass on. So again, for some, almost half of our days is spent interacting in some way, shape, or form with some sort of media. And friends, if you are what you eat, just as much what you think you are. So with so much of what we're consuming today called news, it's really no more than personal commentary. Our our feeds and our, our news stories are filled with conflicting information, differing opinions about virus contagion, mask wearing, reopening timetables, religious freedom restrictions. So much of what we find is fake news or partisan politics. So much fear-mongering and anger-provoking clickbait. Half of our days are spent consuming, interacting, and absorbing these things. Is it any wonder why we're so anxious and conflicted? Is it any wonder why we're having so much trouble finding peace in this time? Because what you think, you are. In fact, on the website for the U.S. Center for Disease Control, there's an entire section of the site dedicated to helping people deal with the stress that the coronavirus pandemic is causing people. And one of CDC's topmost suggestions is take breaks from watching, reading, or listening to news stories, including social media. Hearing about the pandemic repeatedly can be upsetting. Do you think? There's a link between the purity of our thought 
and the peace of our heart. Because you are what you eat and what you think you are. And so Paul writes here to the people of the conflicted and anxious church in Philippi, and he writes to the conflicted and anxious people of Midcoast, Maine, watch your thoughts because what you think you are. Professor Stephen Lawson wrote, in many ways the battle of the Christian life is a battle of the mind. You will become in practice what fills your mind in thought. The battle of the Christian life is a battle of the mind. Who you think you are. See, it's not surprising that the Apostle Paul would write to the church in Rome, Samuel, he would write to the church in Rome, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, we are formed and we are transformed by the renewing of our minds, who we think we are. And so if you struggle to have peace, if you're consumed with conflict and anxiety, Paul might begin by asking you, what are you putting into your mind? What have you been consuming recently? What regularly fills your smartphone, your tablet, your computer screen, your television screen? Because you are what you eat and what you think you are. What Now, in the end, you might have already discovered it's kind of hard. It's hard just to quit. It's easy to go, well, stop doing it. But it's much harder to do. To just stop watching, checking, refreshing, liking, sharing, retweeting. Because nature abhors a vacuum. So just stopping is difficult. But the surest way, the surest way to stop doing one thing is to start doing another. The surest way to stop doing one thing is to start doing another. You know, if I had here a glass that was filled with vegetable oil, I decided not to make a mess in my living room and actually do this because it's Mother's Day and I didn't want to ruin our rug on Mother's Day. Um, Another Sunday I might have. Happy Mother's Day. We're rug shopping. (laughs) (laughs) Although for Mother's Day, yes, Leah could have gotten a new rug, so maybe that would have been a good thing. But if I was sitting here with a cup full of vegetable oil and I said, okay, now how do I get and keep the vegetable oil out of this cup? You might say, well... Dump the oil out. And that will get the oil out of the cup. However, the cup is empty, but there's nothing to stop that cup from quickly becoming refilled with more oil. Now, on the other hand, if I had that cup filled with oil and I started pouring water into that cup, oil is lighter than water. It floats on water. Eventually, the water would fill the cup. The oil would continue rising to the top till it filled over the rim. And there was no more oil left in the cup. And the cup was simply full of oil. And once that cup was full of oil, I mean, it was full of water. Once the cup was full of water, you couldn't put any oil back in it. There would be no way to refill that cup with oil because it was now full of water. We are most successful in getting rid of one thing when we fill with another thing. We are most successful in stopping one thing when we start Another. The surest way to stop doing one thing is to start doing another. The surest way to empty the cup of one thing is to fill it of another. And the same is true of our hearts and our minds. 19th century Scottish preacher Thomas Thomas Chalmers wrote a sermon titled, The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. I need to start titling my sermons better. (laughs) 
The expulsive power. Expulsive means to expel, to get rid of. So basically, you hear it in the title, to get rid of, the power to get rid of an old affection, an old love, an old thought, is to get a new heart, a new thought, a new affection. In the sermon, Chalmers wrote, the best way of casting out an impure affection is to admit a pure one, and by the love of what is good, to expel the love of what is evil. The best way to expel the bad is to replace it with the good. The best way to cleanse the mind of the fearful, anxious, angry, conflicted, impure messages that steal your peace and give you no rest, the best way to do that is fill your mind with the good. Don't just say, stop, cut it out, stop thinking about it. We need to be filled with that that pushes it out. Because who you think you are. And so Paul says in today's passage, a mind filled with such things as we find in verses 8 and 9 will have little room left for other anxious, conflicted, and impure thoughts. Fill your mind with this, and there'll be little room left for that. And Paul lists qualities in verse 8 and commands, think about these things. Now the Bible is filled with commands to meditate, to think on things. I mean, you've probably heard the phrase, just chew on it. Or I'm going to chew on this. You know, again, the, the verb ruminate, which means to think deeply, actually comes from what a cow does. A cow ruminates. He, he chews on the cud of grass over and over again. And in the same way, we as humans are called to ruminate. We're called to chew on it. We're called to meditate. We're called, called to think on these things. And what, we feed, what are we feeding our minds and our hearts to ruminate on? What are we feeding our minds and our hearts to chew upon? Because you are what you eat, and who and what you think you are. So what should we be thinking? Now, the list that Paul gives us here in verses 8 and 9 is not particularly hard to understand, nor is it particularly surprising. I mean, Paul starts by saying first, well, whatever is true. And it seems kind of a funny thing to start, because we might initially react and go, why would anyone deny what's true? But you see, the problem is when what is true conflicts with what we want to be true. When what is true conflicts with my political agenda or my social position, or it conflicts with my understanding of the world or how it should be, or when it conflicts, most of all, with my personal desires and opinions, Paul reminds us, you don't get to conform truth to yourself. You have to be conformed to the truth. And God alone is the author of truth, of reality, of the way that things actually are. Think about whatever is true, whatever is made by him as it was made by him, and be conformed to him. Don't try to conform God and truth and the world to yourself. Be conformed to the truth. Whatever is true, think on that. Second, he says, whatever is honorable, or, or you might say noble, I mean... Have you, uh, you might have heard somebody say something kind of shocking or a little bit uh, crass or a little bit offensive, and they're like, well, yeah, but it's true. And Paul goes, yeah, well, there, there's a lot of things that are true, but they might not be honorable. They're not lifting your mind up. I mean, honorable, he's basically saying, get your mind out of the gutter. I mean, there are a lot of things that are true that we don't need to be dwelling upon, that we don't need, that, that aren't lifting us or other people up. So think about what's honorable. Think about what's just or right. In other words, what conforms to God's law, to God's word, to God's character. Fourth, whatever's pure. 
The Greek word is the same one that we find for holiness, or the same root as we find for holiness. So, so what draws our thoughts to God? What aligns with the holiness and the purity of God himself? Whatever is lovely, I mean, it means beautiful, yes, aesthetically, but also especially morally. To understand this, to consider, consider its opposite. Like you want to understand what does it mean lovely? Well, the opposite. Think about words like raw or crude or ugly. You see, God defines what's lovely. It's not just what's lovely in the eyes of the world, but lovely in the eyes of the Lord. And whatever is commendable, literally whatever is of good repute. You know, it reminded me of the Apostle Paul. He was writing to the church in Ephesus. And in Ephesus chapter 5, it says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. It shouldn't be part of your reputation, as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. So what reputation will be gained from the practice of such things? He says, if there's anything excellent, it's interesting because Second Peter verse 5 translates this same word as virtue. He says, for this very reason, make every, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue excellence and virtue or excellence with knowledge. Virtue and excellence, the same thing. So are you dwelling on things that are virtuous and that encourage and promote virtuous behavior? And finally, if there's anything worthy of praise, and again, not necessarily human praise, not necessarily our culture's praise, but are you thinking about things that are worthy of God's praise, that God celebrates, that God rejoices in? Think on such things. I'd be interested, you're welcome to post in the chat, are there any in, in this list that you find particularly surprising or maybe particularly difficult as you think about them? But Paul says, what, who and what you think you are. So think on these things. And, and Paul knows that for all of us, abstract is kind of difficult. So he gives us something tangible. He, he says, here's my example. I'm not perfect. He made that clear in Philippians 3. You might remember him writing that. But he offers himself as a reference point, as an example. Paul writes, the things you've learned that were taught by me, the things you've received, the letters you've received from me, the things you've heard, that which you've heard other people tell you about me, and the things you've seen, that which you've seen modeled by me, put those things into practice. Now, now notice, Paul says practice. He doesn't just say listen. He doesn't say have a discussion group. He doesn't just say, memorize them. He says, do them. Practice them. Friends, Scripture regularly warns us, do not just be hearers of the word, but be doers. Practice it. Practice also acknowledges that it's not going to be easy at first. We practice because things are difficult. We practice because they don't come naturally. We practice because we have to keep doing them over and over and over and over again until they become a habit, until they become part of us, until they become natural and easy. So thinking these things might not come naturally. It might not be enjoyable. But Paul says, take what you've seen and heard and received and learned and practice it. And who you think and follow. Because who you think and follow, you are. So think on these things, practice these things. Does anybody happen to post anything about it they, they found particularly uh, surprising or difficult in the list? No one's revealing. No self-revealing? No, no self okay, I understand. So Paul concludes, though, at the uh, end of verse 9, and he says, The God of peace, 
the God of peace will be with you. Purity of mind leads to peace of heart. Purity of mind leads to peace of heart. Now, Paul's not talking about the objective peace of God that comes and can only come through being reconciled to him through his son, Jesus Christ, through his death and his resurrection. And friends, if that has not happened, if you've not objectively been put at peace with God the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ, by faith, then I would love to talk to you, I would love to pray with you, and I would love for you to know the objective and true and real and lasting peace that can come between you and God through the work of Jesus Christ. But Paul's not talking here about objective peace. He's talking about subjective peace. He's talking about the feeling of being anxious or conflicted. He's talking about being at peace, at rest. And he says, the God of peace will be with you. Purity of mind will lead to peace of heart, because who you think you are. And so if you lack subjective peace today, it could it be, could it be because your mind is filled with that which doesn't bring peace? You are what you eat, who you think you are. So what is filling your mind and your heart? Friends, if you're filled with anxiety and conflict, the answer is not just to stop thinking about those things, but instead be filled with what is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and praiseworthy in increasing measure till there's no room for those anxious and conflicted and impure thoughts. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, Paul again connects the peace of Christ to that which we think and meditate and dwell on. He says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. Let it fill you, that the peace of Christ might push out all those other things. So friends, what do you need to turn off? And what do you need to turn on in your life? Maybe you need to turn off the TV, turn off Netflix, turn off that music, turn off your phone, turn off those notifications. And maybe you need to turn on and turn to dwell in Scripture and let the Scripture dwell in you richly. Turn to godly friends and godly conversations. Turn to prayer. Turn to music and meditation that reflects God's beautiful truth. Because friends, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? And by the power of Christ at work within you, who will you think to become? Let me pray for you. Father, help us. Help us because our thoughts are so conflicted and so filled with anxiety and anger, conflict, fear, impurity. Lord, we need you to fill us. Fill us with yourself, with your presence, with your truth, with your word. Fill us, Father, and cast out all those other things. And then take that truth and plant it deep in us. And may you use it to shape and to fashion us in your likeness so that who we think we might become, that we might become ever more like you, the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we now pray. Amen.